everybody and welcome to Volume 5, Issue 262, Project Gotham Racing and Project Gotham Racing 2. As always, you can play along with Kane and Rince in Volume 6. Our next episodes are Gone Home, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, Diablo 3, Ninja Gaiden, that's Ninja Gaiden Black Sigma Plus, and then Mad Max. On top of that, you can always head to canerince.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. We do have a Patreon, um, but as we've always been and always will be, we're entirely transparent about this. There is absolutely no hidden content. It will never be hidden behind a paywall or anything along those lines. If you don't wish to or aren't able to contribute, then that doesn't matter. We will still continue to produce what we do for free and available to all. But... If you do want to contribute towards the issues that we've done, we're currently recording 262 now at 50 issues per volume. That's five years of recordings. Um, So if you wish to support us for what we've done in the past and what we continue to do in the future, then all contributions, no matter how small, are entirely welcome. If you would rather have something for your money, we do have a spread shirt uh, for a Cane Rinse t-shirt or saddlebag. And, of course, we have our Sound of Play podcast, our sister podcast, all about the video game music. We're currently up to almost 90 episodes of that now as well. Um, you can find both shows on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Radio, or TuneIn. And, of course, through the website. Now, for this issue, issue 262, joining me, Carl Moon, regular contributor and co-creator of Ken and Rince, Tony Atkins. There's an introduction. Hello. And... Returning guest, Gary Blower. Hello. So for this one, we will be discussing just the two Project Gotham Racing games, the first two. Um, the Project Gotham Racing 3 and 4 are coming in a later episode, so that our focus is entirely on the first two Xbox titles. As I'm sure many people are aware, Project Gotham Racing was Microsoft's exclusive racing game going into the Xbox. But it didn't come with all the bells and whistles. That was the Halo launch. And... Project Gotham Racing was merely there to make up the numbers, it seems. It was a game that Microsoft weren't fully pushing. In fact, they didn't even expect it to be their second biggest game at launch. It actually sold, in the end, 2.12 million copies worldwide. Uh, That's 1.37 million copies in North America, 0.61 in Europe, 0.05 million copies in Japan, and just under 100,000 copies everywhere else. Now, to put that into comparison from where it came from, which was Metropolis Street Racer, the game on the Dreamcast, that sold 120,000 copies total worldwide. So you could say it was a bit of a success for them. The game was actually supposed to sell less numbers than Dead or Alive 3, another launch game, and obviously behind Halo, which it did. Now, this was another game made by Bizarre Creations, the same team behind Metropolis Street Racer and many other classic titles, such as Fur Fighters. And... This time, it was under the Microsoft Game Studios publisher banner. Um, It was released alongside the Xbox console, which was November 15th, 2001, a whole 16 years ago this year in North America, February 22nd in Japan, and March 14th, 2002 in Europe. How did you guys come to this? First of all, Tony, what was your history with the very first Project Gotham Racing title? I always get bamboozled by numbers that seem relatively low by today's standards. Two million copies. Doesn't seem a lot for a a game that was there from day one, but I guess the gestation period of the the original Xbox wasn't particularly long, actually, was it? It was only out for four years before getting replaced. You're thereabouts, wasn't it? It ended 2006 was when the 
Xbox was officially killed off um, with the introduction of the Xbox 360. Um, it was no more production after 2006, so it was a relatively short console. I was uh, an early adopter of the, the original Xbox. I had it at launch, um, and as all launch consoles, you, you always pretty much buy every title you can possibly get on them purely to enjoy your new toy. Um, so, you know, Project Gotham for me was no different, but I, I guess, you know, my history with it is that I I absolutely loved um, MSR on the Dreamcast, which obviously we've, we've done a previous episode on in issue 247. Uh, so a little while back. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely had history with, I'm going to say the franchise, because a lot of people would say that MSR was the place of the genesis of, of um, PGR. So I was certainly looking forward to um, you know, what, what I saw as the spiritual follow up to that game. Um so yeah, not going in completely, you know, blindsided by it. I just I was really, really, really enjoyed MSR, uh, and was definitely looking forward to continuing, you know, development of Bizarre Creations uh, racing series. Um, and yeah, equally just looking for a racing game on my brand new console, and it and it looked obviously from the previews and stuff looked you know super fantastic. So. What about yourself, Gary? Much like Tony, I had uh, Xbox at launch, and I had all three games. I had Halo, Dead or Alive, three and PGR. Um, but obviously, as you know, because I was on the previous show, um, I, uh, I was a huge fan of Metropolis Street Racer, so PGR was pretty much nailed on for me. And uh, yeah, like Tony, I'm quite. I, when I first read the numbers, I was quite surprised. I, again, I think in today's market, two million is considered to be modest in terms of uh, mm. first party sales but I think you have to remember back then even on PlayStation 2 a game wouldn't necessarily be doing those sorts of numbers um, because there's a lot more people who yeah just, so just reading this now it, the original Xbox sold 24 million units sold I think it's easy to become um, confused with how skewed sales numbers for games can be mm-hmm. everyone talks about Grand Theft Auto 5 and it's 75 million copies and you can't compete with that. It's that's a whole other animal um, in terms of the multi-format yeah. and the online support and well, whatnot. But I think I think was it Tomb Raider sold was it three point six million copies within the first three weeks, and Square Enix classed it as a failure with something like a, a launch title like that. I mean, everybody picks pretty much picks it up because they, they need something their new console. But um, you know, at that time, obviously, a lot of second-hand copies would have been kicking about. You know, once the initial rush is through, so I'm sure more people would have got to play it than the two million oh, listed mm-hmm. as you know as sold copies. Because you know, I even now I feel like I could wander into a store and just come across a copy of PGR uh, in a yeah. you know a, a second-hand shop. It wasn't like they weren't easy to, to find. So. Um, it's a franchise that you tend to associate with the second-hand market, probably even more so with the, with uh, PGR three and four. But I think it's with the launch of the Xbox, it came after the PlayStation two. The PlayStation two essentially killed off the Dreamcast because people waited for it, and the PlayStation two was an absolute juggernaut. And Microsoft creating their first console, it was a tough ask in terms of sale numbers. So to look at two point one two million copies worldwide is probably. It seems low, but when you break down the numbers compared to it going against the PlayStation 2, it's probably higher than I would have thought. We're going to be talking about the follow-up, but the follow-up was only a, a couple of years down the line. So, it, you know, it had a, a relatively small amount of consoles to be, to be selling into at that time, um, and yeah. then quickly followed by a sequel a couple of years down the line. So, you know, that, maybe those numbers make more sense, but it, it seemed... You know, just seeing it written down seemed relatively low for what I thought was, you know, a, maybe a slightly is. bigger franchise. 
But this was the launch of Halo as well. Okay. That's <laughs> you, you, you're, you're always going to be competing against that. Dead or Alive was an upcoming franchise. Dead or Alive 2 was popular across all formats. Microsoft signed that up as their exclusive. But Halo was everywhere. Like that, The advertising for that was um, probably as big as any launch game I've seen for a new system. Um and we've all experienced consoles that have launched with one major game. So for this to launch with three big franchises was was pretty surprising. So they are probably quite healthy numbers, which is backed up. And this is jumping ahead a tiny little bit here. Those numbers are actually bigger than the numbers that Project Gotham Racing 2 sold. It probably gives you some idea that they are actually really good sales figures for mm. a racing game. Anyway, anyway, Gary, we jumped on your <laughs> in your... Uh... <laughs> Your summary. <laughs> so, yeah, I picked it up, you know, like you guys did at, at launch, really. And I guess it was a staple until the sequel came out. Um, it was essentially MSR 2.0 because it, it basically had the same tracks, but better graphics, but more variety in its game modes and tweaks to its balancing and kudos system. And um, in that respect, it was the game that I think those of us that were big MSR fans have been craving. I, I th- I'm trying to think back, but I suspect probably that was the key driver for me picking up an Xbox. Um, obviously, Halo was being hyped considerably in the in the in the yeah. press because it was getting you know obviously got Edge gave it a ten and stuff. And I can remember actually, it's the only console I've ever bought on on tick. I remember uh, I I bought it online and got it on finance because it was the only way I could afford it. Um, and and I got the the three games as part of that bundle. Um, but I mean, I'm sure PGR would have been the primary reason for me getting it because I, I, I've always considered the Xbox to be the Dreamcast sequel. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a fair assumption, even more so with the Xbox 360 that followed. But I mean, when I, I didn't actually pick up PGR at launch, and this is staggering thinking back because I don't know why. It's a franchise I'm always singing the praises of. I loved MSR, but I believe it came down to me being a Gran Turismo snob on the PlayStation 2. I'd picked up oh Gran Turismo... <laughs> yeah, I picked up Gran Turismo 3A spec on uh, PlayStation 2 in 2001 and was, <laughs> albeit a little disappointed with it. Yeah, I would say A spec, blimey, yeah. You <laughs> it, was, it, was, um, it, it was still, that was the kind of aura of racing game I was going for, that that really dive, deep dive into the, the love and passion behind the cars and as much as I appreciated the arcade racing of the, of Metropolis Street Racer, and I liked that, I really loved the more authentic passion project of Gran Turismo at the time. As of that time, I was also a very heavy PC gamer. Um, and whilst I did pick up an Xbox at launch, that was primarily for Halo and Dead or Alive 3. Um, so my, my playing of Project Gotham came a little bit later, about 12 months later, and uh, on demo test terminals when you could find one that wasn't just loaded with a Halo disc that was. Uh, so that that's where I actually primarily played Project Gotham Racing. Um, my, my real love for that franchise comes with the sequel, which we'll get to. But moving from what Gary mentioned about the improved graphics, it being sort of MSR 2.0, which we're not going to avoid that fact. It was, it was the same team. They used a lot of the same assets. They just improved the textural quality, the models, a little bit of tweaks to the gameplay and stuff and added a whole new city. Project Gotham Racing actually only had a 10-month development window, which is phenomenally small <laughs> for a, a, a major game like that. Um, so it was, it was purely a case of sprucing up what they had. Um, they admitted this and they modified the kudos system because 
we mentioned this in the MSR show, but we'll we'll quickly cover the ground now. It was probably the most controversial element of the first game. It's what people either loved or loathed um, in in uh, Metropolis Street Racer uh, because it wasn't a pure out and out racing game. It was a it was a skill based that that whole risk reward of pushing for more, uh, driving dangerously and faster than you ever really could with the street racing, and this sort of took on from that project. And Bazaar were actually worried about the concept. Metropolis Street Racer. It, it didn't sell the numbers they wanted. We mentioned it was 120,000 copies. So Martin Chudley, who was the uh, producer at Bizarre Creations at the time, he said, Microsoft was making noises about the launch of the Xbox, and we approached them to see if they would be interested in an open-wheel racing game that we had an inkling of a design for. However, they seemed far more impressed with the game that we'd just released. And as we had the rights for everything barring the name, Project Gotham Racing was born from the ashes. A year later, and with the inclusion of New York as a fourth city, it went on to sell over 2 million units. Finally, we had our launch game on a new piece of hardware. Microsoft are probably the only reason we saw Project Gotham Racing in the format that we did, because Bizarre themselves seemed that they were going to steer away in a more Midtown Madness kind of game that's that's sort of the impression i see when they mm. say open wheel they wanted this open world and that was another franchise that microsoft held uh, and we hadn't heard a lot about though we did get a midtown madness game on the xbox so eventually good. so i love midtown uh, madness which was very popular <laughs> yeah it, it was very popular and that was it it was it was popular with the fans <laughs> and we never it. saw it yep. again project gotham racing it it sold two million copies it was a success it sold more numbers than microsoft and bizarre were expecting and it also received pretty positive acclaim. It was a, it averages an 85 out of 100 on Metacritic. I think it's safe to say that that won't be changing <laughs> after 15 years of, out there, uh, of being out there. Um, one thing I do like to do, and this is sort of a, the nerdy side of me whenever I'm researching for a game, is I like to look through the credits and see who's involved in the design and development in the game outside of the main, you know, the, the, the producing team. Uh, and then there's two notable names in that, development team for Project Gotham Racing 1. Uh, the first one is Dan Greenewalt, who led the design team. This was his first project, and many people may not recognise the name. He's actually the director at Turn 10 now. He's the studio creative director, and they overlook the Forza Motorsport series. Um, and this was his first. So he went straight from this into Forza Motorsport, and he's stayed with Turn 10 ever since. So not a bad bedding ground for them. Mm. And... Uh, heading up the art team was the fantastically named, my very favourite named developer, Kiki Wolfkill. Um, and she's now the studio head at 343, which overlooks the Halo franchise for Xbox. So, you know, again, not doing too badly for herself. She also worked on Midtown Madness 2 and Rally Sport Challenge 2, which anyone who's played Rally Sport Challenge Another 2 will great know game. that that is a fantastic <laughs> racing game on the Xbox. The so, uh-huh. yeah, there's, there's two people that were involved with the very first Project Gotham racing game that went on to other projects. Yeah, fan, absolutely fantastic uh, team of talent. Martin Chudley, who uh, was the lead designer on MSR, actually returned to lead the design team uh, for Project Gotham Racing 2. So that, that was where Dan Greenewalt came from. He, he took that role for the first one and left. Brian Woodhouse, uh, part of the team and production team for uh, Project Gotham Racing, said, Overall, the major difference between expectation and reality in developing Project Gotham Racing on the Xbox was that the Microsoft guys were really affable and human, which was very different from the corporate monster that they expected to encounter. Now, it's quite unusual across gaming history to see someone say something that positive about 
a console manufacturer anyway, but even more so when you've only had a 10-month development window. <laughs> Normally, there's a big fallout and a you know a lot of unrest in such a small window, but they actually liked it. Microsoft were obviously making big moves into the console gaming market, the Xbox being their first, uh, and they were keen to get as many studios on side as possible, and Bizarre were a pretty good one to get. So, guys, we'll talk about the structure of Project Gotham Racing and how it came about. There was, uh, it was a single-player game. It did have multiplayer in the format of split-screen, so we'll cover that immediately, but that was it. It only had human racing in split-screens. So the single-player was built up of many different modes. I think this is part of the popularity for this franchise in general, is that it's not a straight out-and-out -out racer, and even then it offers more below the surface, a lot like Metropolis Street Racer did. Now, the very main mode of Project Gotham Racing is the Kudos Challenge. Again, the Kudos is something that returned from Metropolis Street Racer. It was their format for point tallying um, whilst racing. So first, second, and third in a standard race didn't really mean that much. However, power sliding, um, 360s, uh, long drifts, drafting was a big one, yes. So it was a case of doing your perfect line, of course. It was it was the case of doing all this in a risk-reward scenario where you would build up points and it would work on a multiplier basis, but if you made contact with anything, it went. Um, it's something that's become far more common in games like Burnout um, and I think Need for Speed has implemented similar things and Forza, uh, Forza Motorsport, Horizon. Forza Horizon mm -hmm. especially, has brought in this sort of you know, building up your multipliers and running the risk-reward, but this was doing it in tighter, narrow streets whilst racing other cars. Um, and it was something that they sort of built on the formula and it wasn't going to be for everyone, but that was the core of this racing game. And the Kudos Challenge was a case of 12 levels with nine different racing challenges throughout them. And the higher you score, the better you promoted. Now, there was three medals in the first Project Gotham, so you could get a bronze, silver, or gold medal, depending on your performance and score. It was quite tricky. <laughs> it was a little bit easier than MSR, which could be brutally difficult at times, but the, the, the risk-reward in Project Gotham Racing 1 was certainly a little bit more user-friendly. It's something that they tweaked uh, for the launch of the Xbox and see the feedback that they've received the negative feedback, especially that they received from the previous game, aided in that. So what were your guys' opinions on the basis for Kudos being behind PGR? Were you, were you fans of that system? I think in terms of uh, progression and unlocking other cars and stuff, I think that was probably the thing that at the time made PGR feel unique. It dispensed with the, you know, the raw, brutal, ugly capitalism of... Um, Gran Turismo, you know, where you're just trying to earn cash <laughs> and you just grind out results to get more and more money so you could do stuff. It, it actually gave a linear progression to the to the game itself. Um, and I can't remember which one it was where you basically tried to, whether the uh, TVR was the top one. I think that was PGR2, wasn't it? But it inspired you to sort of keep pushing forwards because you wanted to unlock that next tier and that next car. Games before and games after have never quite captured... Um, I mean, that's uh, the kind of simplicity of PGR, I think, is one of the things that made it so appealing. Um, and the fact that, you know, it was just, for me, it was just it was just raw adrenaline when you were playing it. Um, yeah. But I think the, 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 the Kudos system and the fact that it wasn't just about winning, it was about 
doing it in style and having fun with it at the same time, then that rewarded you with more cars and more tracks and more things to do. I, I, I just think it's that it's that classic bit of game design where you, you give a little constantly so the player feels like they're, they're always progressing, they're always getting that little bit further ahead and they're, they're filling in that bar, if you like. Um, but but I also feel it encouraged you to, to actually get the most out of the game and actually enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I, I found that certainly... Coming off something like um, Gran Turismo at the time, where although I always attempted to, to play it as legitimately as possible, I'd always eventually find myself just picking the most powerful car and grinding around almost every corner around the railing and just kind of breaking the game for myself. Just, just you know, just push as heavy as possible and, and win every race. You know, that was my one goal. It, didn't, it ended up becoming less of a, a thing about driving starsly and, and just, you know, win the race to unlock the next thing the next thing the next thing it's funny to see it you know I've, I've gone back and played it over the last couple of weeks um, and it's funny to see it in, in its early iteration here because they've refined aspects of this game over and over and over again you know by the time you got to well we won't talk about four because they added a whole load of stuff but um, you know you can see where they keep adding on so it's nice to see you know where we've gone from MSR to PGR um what is actually strange, and, and going back now, and it really highlights, is there's actually, you, you don't do that much racing against other cars. Like, there's there's racing in here for sure. Mm. Plenty of, um, you know, AI racing. There's a lot of, you know, cone challenges. There's a lot of, you know, try to, you know, get round the, you know, the track in X time, you know, beat this. Um, so there's more of a, you know, a kind of, I guess, um, not RPG, but more of a kind of body of... Um, of events to do rather than just focus on well time challenge and you know beat all the cars on the road there was a lot more well I, you know, i'm going to attempt this and actually um one of the things i really liked is that you could obviously attempt it at a lower difficulty bronze i mean bronze silver gold platinum i think they're the, they're the ones platinum was in two, two okay, yeah. so with steel okay am i i'm certainly right in thinking that you if you you know you could obviously do bronze and get some kudos but then to unlock the next one you'd have to beat your kudos score that you'd previously done, and that's the only way you could keep progressing. The progression, you had to hit a minimum of bronze per go. So if yeah. you didn't hit bronze, there was mm-hmm. zero progression. But then to essentially unlock the, the more exotic, fun cars, you were having to beat that. Which I, so which you, I really you'd like. Be, you'd be targeting yeah, goal. So it wasn't just a case of, you know, grind your way around, get first place at all, at all possibilities. It was about, you know, you know, you don't always master it straight away, get the bronze, but always then looking to you know push yourself that little bit more, you know, a little bit more kind of drip feed reward of, well, I've done that track, but I'm going to go back and do that track again because I, I reckon my kudos line can be a lot better than that rather than just, you know, pure power, get into first place and be done with it. It's a strange system um, when you look back because there was nothing that was offering us something that similar at the core mechanic of a racing game before it. And you look at it now and it's become so much more the norm for um, something like Forza Horizon 3 where you're getting spin wins for hitting levels which are built up via uh, multipliers of, of skills, skill chains. And it's sort of an aside to the racing and the key is finishing first. In PGI, you had to do that at the core to even progress so that that the finish was was irrelevant essentially um well, to a degree at least and it's a mechanic that i became really fond of and i like seeing it in these other games but i can't help but think it's implemented wrong like i just want i need that to be the core of the race like if i if i'm not taking these risks 
for the for the multiplier and the score for my finish, then it doesn't really matter. Like, what's the point? So I'll take lower skill chains in other racing games. But at PGR, the addiction was in really... You, when you would see those numbers getting up, you're like, can I just fit one more slide in? You know, what if I really hit the handbrake and go around on this one? And you sort of ease off on the trigger and you're like, no, no, no. And you sort of really sort of ramp it down and go for your speed <laughs> to belt into the corner. And then you hit the wall and you go, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no rewind button here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was such a brilliant mechanic because you mentioned when you were racing something like Gran Turismo, you'd end up cheesing it. And I think that is where you really noticed it at the time because I would play PGR, I'd play Gran Turismo and... I would get lazy. I'd bounce off. You, know, you can bounce off a couple of cars in the first place on the corner, and we still do that now. There's, it's a mechanic that they're still struggling to rule out of racing games, even now online, um, where you're really trolling players. But you couldn't do that in PGR because all you'd be doing is dropping your multiplier. You hit the barrier, your score's gone. Hit another car, score's gone. You know. So in having an almost cheesy mechanic as the core meant that you couldn't really cheese the race you had to sort of fit within the criteria that was set out for you and i think that is a challenge that is really appealing about the project gotham racing games and for me probably the reason why i love them so much it's just really weird and a bold move to put it there in the first place and it, it still blows my mind that microsoft backed this project as a as a launch trio game um on something that wasn't a pure out and out racing game other modes that were featured in Project Gotham Racing, Quick Race, which is a case of racing through checkpoints against five other cars. This was, you know, back in the days where we were limited to how many other cars you could have on a track. Total of six in this one. Um, you had to, again, hit a minimum of a bronze medal to progress. Mm-hmm. We had the arcade race where you had a, a performance kudos as you go through gate, uh, cone gates, uh, keeping an eye on the clock. Probably the most marmite of the modes, I would guess. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not alien to people that have played many different <laughs> racing games now, but it's it's going through a series of timed gates or cones that if you hit them, you lost points. If you missed them, you got penalised and you would constantly a reducing clock, so you'd have to get through them as fast as possible to keep your clock going. Yep. Incredibly tricky, but very rewarding when you completed them. But yes, could be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Tearing out the hair, throwing the controller, having a little hissy fit. You say that, I would take that every day of the week over another bloody drift event. The way that it was done in the PGR series, you know, it's frustrating, but it, but again, it's all about being ac- accurate, but also having fun with it. Mm. And I, I find in most modern games, this particular category is just fulfilled by, let's chuck in another drift event, mm. which I find incredibly dull, just like the sport of drifting is incredibly dull. Um, but this was fun because yeah. this was more like a strategic ta- challenge, not just one of, here, I'm going to put the car sideways and gently hold it while it does it. I think that's probably a key point is that it never felt like it was cheating you or that it was cheap. The cones didn't move so you could learn the track yeah. and be- get into your corners and hit the apexes better for yeah, you- a, a better entry around the corner. Whereas when it comes to a drift event, Sometimes you don't seem to necessarily do anything differently, but your score is considerably higher. Um, I'm not a fan of the overabundance of drifting events in games. Um, and it's, I would say it's something that we've seen a lot since about 2010. I seem to remember Need for Speed Shift bringing it in. And then every game since mm-hmm. has had it as like a core mode in it. 
I absolutely agree. I much prefer skill-based driving. It's something that I've mentioned numerous times as why I don't like games like Mario Kart. Because if a game is being cheap or I feel like I'm being cheated, when a level of skill doesn't isn't the deciding factor in something in a racing game, that really irks me. So the cone challenges were incredibly frustrating, tough, but never unfair. And I think that's probably the key part as to why I love them so much. Not so much in the first two games. No. It's something I'll bring up more that I think they improved with PGR 3 and 4. So that's something that we'll talk about in the ne- the next episode of the PGR series. Um, and the last mode was a time attack, which was just fastest lap in any unlocked vehicle. It, you had to unlock the vehicles. Probably an unpopular move. It was an unpopular move with MSR. Um, that to do your time attacks, you had to have unlocked them in the Kudos Challenge. Looking back and doing research, it was something people were highly critical of uh, on Metropolis Street Racer, and they did it again. (laughs) So (laughs) you had to progress through the tougher mode to be able to even do time attacks. I was never playing Project Gotham Racing for time attacks, so it never really bothered me. Personally, what about you guys? No, not not for me. I don't really do time attacks. I don't think in many games they... they They're a cheap add-on. You don't have to do too much work to add a time attack mode. Yep, agree. I think that's absolutely fair, and it's something I prefer in the more serious racer or Gran Turismo yeah. for the time. If it's like a Formula One game, I can kind of get it because yeah. it's like qualifying, but outside of that, it, I don't think it has any place. But, you know, if they put it in there because, I mean, it's, it's good for YouTube these days if you've got a time attack mode. It's sort of it's a free addition, isn't it? The tracks are already yeah, there, the cars are there. already there, but it allows you to keep coming back without a, a, an end goal that's beat other than beating your own time, which is always quite rewarding, I guess. And there's some people that love that, but it is just I'm not playing PGR for that personally, so it's not a mode that I ever really spent any time on. Um, uh, one thing people do go to Project Gotham Racing for, though, however, is the real-world locations, something that was very popular with Metropolis Street Racer. I think we discussed at the time we couldn't remember or could, certainly couldn't recall any other games that were doing real-world city locations to race around in. They were facsimiles, yeah. They were facsimiles, like Driver and stuff, but yeah, not, not like this. Uh, we had the return of London, San Francisco and Tokyo, all of which were in Metropolis Street Racer, but with this one we had the addition of New York City because that's an environment we've never had in video gaming. Although, I think to be fair, it was probably quite new in 2002. I think so, yeah. I... Um certainly something we've seen many times since. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, New York City is, is a pretty great city for driving around in and probably key to the franchise is immediately recognisable for people that don't live there. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can recognise the Empire State Building. This would have been released in 2001. So was this the first environment in New York that without the Twin Towers? Because that's very close, isn't it? It is. I mean, it was released two months after. I don't think, though, the part of New York you race around, you would ever really get to see them. The first game, technically, without them was Deus Ex, but that was a technical limitation. <laughs> I'm not so sure, because you basically run race alongside the Hudson, don't you? So I, I do appreciate new content, especially when you can see the amount of effort and time that's gone into creating these somewhat mostly true-to-real-life locations. Uh, obviously, you've got little bit of creative license but the goal was to make it as accurate as possible a few barriers here and there yeah a few building yeah, changes but it's, yeah, close enough you know we, we do have technical limitations and so forth but i think they certainly did an impressive job and I, london was always something that blew me away 
Um, it's not a city I was immediately familiar with. I am, for those that don't know, I live in the north of the country. I was brought up here and I spend a relatively minimal amount of time in London, especially compared to the other two guests <laughs> who are actually relatively close well, to London. I grew up there. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Gary, of course, grew up in London. Um, the poor soul. So what were your guys' thoughts on the real world locations fan of them or do you prefer a sort of more make-believe location i'm totally a fan um, i think um as in video games as in real life I, I i'm a firm believer that some of the best uh motor racing circuits around the world are indeed street circuits and um that goes for formula one indie whatever you want whatever racing class you want to look at the street circuits are invariably the best ones and it's true for video games as well i just think the nature of um particularly city street circuits lends itself to hard breaking and cornering um, particularly mm. you know prevalence of 90 degree right and left handers which of various you know very, which you can take at varying speeds which just make for much more dramatic and exciting racing because they provide you with overtaking opportunities. and as There's definitely a level of unpredictability there, isn't there? Yeah, on modern design circuits, is they end up designing them to have street racing sections. You take like Bahrain yeah. and places like that, they actually deliberately put in sections of track that make that simulate a city street, uh, you know, set up with 90 degree right-handers and things like that, you know. But going back to PGR, I, I just feel in video games it works as well. And, and it, it is that fact, it is that it creates opportunities for you to have, for the overtaking opportunity, you also don't have huge runoff areas and things like that, which means that, you know, it's it's yeah. unforgiving, and also you can be super aggressive. Um, you know, you you can your your sometimes your exit is unsighted as well. As you said, that makes it unpredictable because you're turning in and there's a building in the way, so you don't know what the exit's like so unless you've done it before. You're not going to know. Or sometimes you get um, you get the benefit of a super wide exit because it, you're going from a thin street to a thick street to a wide street. You know, you get all these kind of variations in a street circuit that you you don't otherwise get on a a manufactured track if I, you like I would, I would guess the flip side of that though in a, in a game based around a kudos system where just touching you know a wall is enough to to lose a, a massive kudos street when the streets are so narrow and small enough times i hit a, a wall that you know was merely a clip and lost yeah, throws stuff. Like, you back on the circuit again the, the problem with runoff areas is that you then have to you then end right up down, spending yeah, yeah you, you spend the next sort of 30 seconds trundling back onto the circuit again so with with street tracks you just don't get that and so i mean it just suits that the kind of arcadey mm -hmm. style you know it gets you straight back in the yeah you've made a mistake but here you go straight back in the action again well i mean i had to say obviously for um Project Gotham Racing, the original incarnation, the release, you know, coming back from MSR to this, yeah, it was it was like coming just yeah, a little bit home. Like I'd feel like I'd played the game before, but there was enough kind of you know grunt of the of the new console that it, it actually felt relatively fresh. It it's not a bad looking game, and for a game what is fourteen years old now at this point, it still looks reasonably good. Um, you know, it's it's a little washed out in colour, which I don't remember it. I always remember it being quite a colourful game, but actually, mm. you're going back to it, it, it feels quite washed out in tone. Um, I believe they were aiming for 60 frames per second, and 
it you know at, at times it clearly doesn't always hit that i you know i came across a, a number of frame rate drops that i i hadn't remembered from playing back then which you know okay you know it's the yeah, limitations of the console and probably limitation of development time but yeah you know, the fact that they strive for a uh, you know a very very competent frame rate um and a you know a graphically impressive game um you know it is to be said you know well done to them for a game that's yeah new on the system, and I think that's probably this is more of a a case of companies have become wise. But the selection of cars was really good. You know, the manufacturers were you know obviously you know, the Fords and stuff you would expect to be in there, but you know Ferrari are in there. I think Porsche are in there. Yeah, I mean that's a rarity to have both those franchises. Obviously, beyond MSR, this one has a number of issues. I think the feel of it is a little bit. I'm going to say tight. I feel like you know, if I turn into a corner, it maybe turns a little bit too sharp, a bit too fast. Um, that helps with obviously, you know, losing, you know, using the, the handbrake to drift a bit better because, you know, you feel like you can duck into a corner a bit a bit quicker. But it's certainly, you know, having, I don't know, played it for probably three or four hours over the last, um, you know, couple of weeks. I feel like I was getting better at it, but it, 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 it was clear that, you know, that they've improved um, you know the handling, and, and that was evident by going to PGR two as well. That it felt like there's a, a a lot bigger um an, an upgrade between those two titles side by side. Yeah, I, I remember being impressed at how the game was running. Metropolis Street Racer was always quite a breathtaking game because we'd never experienced these environments before. Um, as Gary mentioned, the tight streets and the the big wide open turns, and in the way it could change up. Um, especially if you didn't know the cities and the first time you're sort of racing through them. And I think one thing I need to make clear is that at least PGR had a decent car on the front cover because it had the glorious Ferrari F50, which is a stunningly beautiful car, but that was a big step up from a Vauxhall that they used in Metropolis <laughs> Street Racer. <laughs> so um, that, that's something I definitely appreciated. Uh, that's what money gets you. That's what the Microsoft money gets you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's what those big uh, Seattle dollars will get you. From there, we went on to Project Gotham Racing 2. Now, this was released almost to the, well, to the week, two years later. So this was North America. Project Gotham Racing 2 was released November 17th, 2003. In Japan, the 20th of 2003. And in Europe, November 28th of 2003. So relatively close together, a lot closer than the first game was due to the launch of the console. I think it's safe to say they went big or went home with this one because the content numbers are through the roof in comparison to the first, which which we'll get to. Uh, once again, it was developed by Bizarre Creations, uh, again under the Microsoft Game Studios banner. This time it sold 1.67 million copies. Which is less. It's less than the two million that the, the prequel sold. <laughs> it's surprising because I expected the sequel to have sold more given that this wasn't against Halo. But, you know, 1.67, I don't really know at the time whether that was a success <laughs> or a failure. No one ever really says, but we know that the first one exceeded expectations and one would assume that they expect at least the same for the sequel and this did less. But it, it's not the first time and it won't be the last time that that's the case. Um, it sold just under a million in North America this time, 0.97 million copies. It was just under 0.6 with 0.5 million copies in Europe, 0.04 million in Japan, and 0.07 million making up the rest of the regions. I didn't pick up the first at launch, and I didn't get the second at launch, but that was because this one was my Christmas present. This this was my game going into Christmas 2003, it's the game I had on my list. 
Did either of you two gentlemen get this game on launch day? PGR 2 has a very special place in my heart and not just for the game itself um, because it was a game that um, came along at a very uh, key point in my life when I moved across the country, basically. I moved from one side of the country to the other and I had started, I'd bought a house in, down in uh, in Kent, where I live now, in Canterbury. Um, my brother had moved in with me. He'd just left home. Uh, so I was in my late 20s. My brother was, uh, I think he was 18 or 19. I think he was 19. And we used to play PGR like people play FIFA now. We would play PGR most evenings in front of the television when I was there, when I wasn't working away. And so when PGR2 came along, we were like totally stoked because it meant we could play online for the first time. And this was a big, big deal because I, you know, I'd had Xbox Live and we were both, you know, really looking forward to that. And uh, I think I played it pretty much every day that I was able to from the day it came out until the 31st of December. And the reason I can, uh, I know that date in particular is because I was playing this game when I met my wife, bizarrely enough. So she was my next door neighbor. And uh, on New Year's Eve, I was having a pretty crappy time. So I went home early uh, and I was actually playing PGR2 online with my mate who uh, lived where I, where I lived in Wiltshire. Uh, she knocked on the door and invited me around to the uh, New Year's Eve party, and that's how I met my wife. So this game has a very special place in my heart because it covers that that sort of six month period from when I moved across the country to somewhere completely new, where I didn't really know anyone other than my brother. And then obviously I've now spent uh, the past thirteen or fourteen years uh, very much enjoying my life down here in Kent. So for that reason, it's it's a very special game for me. I mean, it's a great game. It can even get your relationships. <laughs> Apparently. But it, it's amazing how certain games can be related to certain points in your life. Yep. For, I suppose for good and bad, but normally we, we tend to recall the really good ones. Um, and on that point, Joshua Tsumitsu on the uh, forums, you can post feedback for uh, shows coming up at com slash forward or email us at podcast at com if you've got any for yourself to put in for later episodes. And he said, I would have first got PGR2 maybe around 2004, 2005. I actually had a bit of a break from gaming at a certain point in my life, and it was only after I came back to Australia from spending six months around England and Europe that I picked up an Xbox, my first console for quite some time. Coming in late to that generation meant that there was already quite a library out by that time, and Project Gotham Racing 2 reviewed pretty positively. So I picked that up on the cheap. Graphically, going from PS1 to Xbox with a break in between, I thought it looked fantastic at the time. Maybe not so good by today's standards, but a considerable jump from my time with Gran Turismo. That opening, lovely looking over the Ferrari Enzo, never had a car looked so good to me in a game at the time. And while I loved the cars, the real draw for me were the city circuits. Having actually visited places like Barcelona, Florence, Edinburgh and Paris, which was added later in DLC, within pretty close com- uh, proximity to playing this game, it jogged quite a few memories. While I'm certain that artist liberties are taken in regards to the accuracy of those city streets, they did feel authentic. Edinburgh with Princess Street, Florence with the Duomo, and the streets of Barcelona, the same ones I strolled through not long before, are now free for me to race through at breakneck speed. And as for Sydney, I won't lie, as a local, I'm not a big fan of Sydney. Melbourne is much better. 
That's actually not the first time I've heard that, or the second I've heard that so many times from people that live in Australia. Um, I think it's a bit on the expansive, overrated, filthy side, but the city circuits again feel right in this game. In real life, not a fun city to drive in. In the game, it's the ideal version of what I assume tourists expect to see when they <laughs> visit here in real life. And unlike the real place, it's a delight to drive through. I quite enjoy the structure of the game, where if you just want to rush through, you can aim for the steel medals, knowing that you can come back at a later time to improve. And I always did come back to aim for those platinum medals. Achievement points and trophies wouldn't become standard in games until the next console generation, and those medals felt a bit in the same way where you felt a sense of pride when you achieved those higher challenges. Again, when it comes to the structure of this and future Project Gotham racing games, the way the challenges are divided up was very different to traditional circuit-based races. There were bite-sized challenges, like the speed camera and overtake challenges, and it created variety, certainly more variety than most racing games at the time. This is probably not my favourite in the series, but playing this game before the others made it an easy sale for future instalments. Like I said, the game's real strengths for me were the recreations of real-life locations and how vicariously through this game I could revisit those holiday spots I had experienced not too long before. And I could do it all whilst driving fast cars very recklessly through those streets, as opposed to murdering my way through the city streets of the Assassin's Creed games. Good times. So much like you, Gary... It's something that's associated with a very special time in the life. And I think that's always sort of really sweet when you, you hear back the stories that people can say, that's exactly what I was doing. Now, the only game that really comes to mind for me that did that was Pro Evolution Soccer 2. And that was because I didn't go to college for two weeks and me and my friend dust off at his mate's grandparents' house and just played that <laughs> instead. Not so glorious. I didn't end up in a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nor was it as good as seeing all these exotic cities, but again, it's a memory that I can relate very specifically to a game. So the, the, obviously there's with yourself uh, and, and Josh, that's that's two for Project Gotham Racing 2. So getting back to our histories with the games and picking it up at launch, what about yourself, Tony? Um, it's not as grand as, as Gary's you know, meeting your wife, all but... <laughs> but um, I, I've said this before on, on Kane and and I'll, I'll repeat it here. I... I was very close to... I feel like I was falling out of love of gaming for a very long time. And now you, you get into your 20s and feel like maybe you should be doing something else with your life, you know, rather than playing, you know, those video games as everyone keeps telling you. But it was the introduction of Xbox Live that really, really brought me back into gaming. And, and not just in a, well, this this is fun. Like, this is, you know, something that I can see myself doing for, you know, years to come and, and sod what anyone else says. Because it was the inclusion of, you know, playing with people. It, you know, I'd, I'd long moved, I'd moved out of my house by this, you know, my parents' home by this point, so I didn't have brothers to play games with anymore. So it was, I always found it quite a solitary experience, you know, when I, uh, after I'd left home and just, you know, played just for myself. With the inclusion of Xbox Live, I suddenly got to play with all these people from around the world and I got to meet people that were very much like-minded than me and in, in the same situation as me. And it's it's odd to talk about Xbox Live now or even an online service um, of many other platforms uh, that have included them now that, you know, a new game hitting a surface with um, just a new game, a new game with online features was an absolutely major deal at that point. Um, and Project Gotham 2 fell 
squarely into that. It was the game I just had to have because, you know, it was a chance to just have another game to play with friends, uh, you know, this collective family I'd, I'd built of, of, you know, across Xbox Live and, you know, along with Rainbow Six, etc. you know, the, or MotoGP at the time, which we were playing mm, you know, non stop. Yeah. Project Gotham was that that next one on the box where it was like everybody was going to buy it and everybody did buy it and you know played it for hundreds of hours because you know there wasn't that huge sway of games where people were just spread across you know hundreds of games across the network it was a small collective group of people that had been early adopters of online gaming on the consoles and you know if you didn't have Project Gotham Racing it'd be it would have been a surprise so you know although I feel like um, you know I would have come to this title because I enjoyed you know the previous two incarnations of this. It was the inclusion of Xbox Live features that absolutely sold me on needing this day one, and you know is is the, I guess the primary reason I played it for as long as I did, um, all the way up until you know free would come out with its own set of you know brilliant online features, and and I'm sure that's probably no different from either you two guys. I, I know that you're big into it but yeah that was the prime reason for me buying this on, on launch as i mentioned i got mine for christmas um it was something i was looking forward to uh i, I believe it was my uncle that bought me it and i needed to make sure that he was getting me the right game I was like, it's the one with the ferrari enzo on the front you know <laughs> the ferrari it. enzo it's the new car it looks lovely it's that one and it's got it's, there's a wet floor and I, I distinctly remember telling him there's a reflection <laughs> on the floor you gotta make sure it's that one that you get and I did, I got it for Christmas and I was really looking forward to this. I, I guess unlike the first game where I had Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo 3, Gran Turismo 4 didn't release until the year after. I think as much as I loved Gran Turismo 4, I didn't fall in love with it. And I think that was the falling out of love with the franchise, despite the fact I thought it was such a better game than 3, because at that point I'd played Project Gotham Racing 2 and this was quite an important, not just a racing game, but a video game in general. Now, Tony mentioned playing MotoGP. I think that was pr- uh, certainly a racing game that many people would have played online for the first time on Xbox Live. Given that there was the demo included with the Xbox Live Never setup, forget whacked. Never forget whacked, man. I remember. Now, I was already playing multiplayer games on the PC, but there was something to be said even at that time, and it's certainly something that I maintain these days, there's something to be said for playing on an enclosed system that's set up for a very specific purpose. And Xbox Live felt very detail-oriented in getting a good service with voice chat and just being able to go, I want to play that online, finding a lobby and going with the matchmaking. And I remember thinking, this MotoGP is brilliant, but now I want to play a racing game. You know, I want to play with the cars on these city circuits. And when Project Gotham Racing 2 announced that multiplayer was a part of it, well, I mean, I was getting the game anyway because I love racing games. They're one of my favourite, if not my very favourite genre to play. It's something I continue to play way too much of these days. And this one just looked spectacular. You know, you, you could see so much work had been done. It was two years after the release of the first game. And with online as well, it, I had to have the game. So I got it for Christmas. And I played it pretty much all of Christmas, all the way to New Year. Didn't meet a girlfriend or a wife on New Year. <laughs> so I feel I feel like um, that that's a little it's underwhelming right. for me. My brother took over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that's, that's, <laughs> that's good then. Um, so the game actually released with critical acclaim. Now, the, the, very, first, uh, the very first Project Gotham Racing... Average is an 85 on Metacritic. Very good. The sequel, 
is a 90. Now, 90 plus is always great. Now, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Metacritic. I think it makes far more sense after a large period of time rather than judging something new. Um, but it did. It, there were very, there were some varying opinions on it, um, but they were mostly all positive. Famitsu Japan gave it a 32 out of 40 with four eights. Famitsu Xbox scored it a 34, but it did get one perfect 10, which stood for quite a lot. Edge only gave it a yeah, 7, which, you know, Edge never failed to surprise me. Um, but EGM gave it a 9.5, as well as IGN also gave it a, a 9.5. So even a 7 is a positive review. Let, let's, let's, as the lesser review still scored it good, but it did score very highly. Um, this all led to the anticipation of me getting it. I felt like it was a game I must have if it was better than the first one and it was going to be the definitive racer on Xbox, which was a console that I was now thoroughly behind. Having picked up Xbox Live at launch, got Unreal Champions, was playing that, and Unreal Championship, sorry, uh, playing that as well as continuing to play the MotoGP demo because it was fantastic. Leading to the development, Peter Wallace, producer of Bizarre Creations, said it was late in November 2001. We'd recently finished Project Gotham Racing and it seemed to be going down well around the world. But where could we go from there? It's an amazing feeling to have developed a game that is popular and that people are enjoying. But just like with any game that's done in a tight time frame, there's always something that you would have wanted to have added, changed or tweaked. And if only we'd had more time. But we did have time. We had Project Gotham Racing 2. The work on Project Gotham Racing 2 was started shortly after Project Gotham Racing was finished. Microsoft did actually let us have a couple of hours off in between, and it was here that we had the chance to put all of our not-enough-time ideas, tweaks, and changes into action. We wanted outside feedback too, so we listened to comments from the Gotham players in focus groups on the internet and in magazines. Even the big man, Bill Gates himself, emailed us some suggestions on things we could include. As a side note, Bill Gates has actually stated that his very favourite game is Project Gotham Racing. Now, I'm not sure that stands for much. The guy's worth a few quid, I think it's safe to say, but it's, it doesn't necessarily know he means his video games. But um, it always surprised me that he said that Project Gotham Racing was his favourite video game and not Halo, um, given that, you know, the big push by Microsoft behind Halo. Always said it he, always just made me laugh. play Halo. I seem to remember him saying in interviews that he couldn't do the twin stick business. All that money and brains and you can't do a twin stick shooter. <laughs> Don't forget, what was his, one of his favourite games was that um, uh, Mario Party style game as well, his name I can't remember now. Oh, Fusion Frenzy. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, the one with the rolling balls, yeah. Mm-hmm. They said the game was rebuilt rather than adapted on as Bazaar wanted the feeling of a full sequel, uh, which was built around the core values from the previous game the core values of which were speed and style, real cities, and competitive gameplay to create a new challenge with a familiar feel. With this ambition, two other companies were brought in to work alongside Bizarre Creations to create car models. Bizarre had a relatively large team by their own standards to complete PGR in such a short period of time, yet needed an even larger one to complete their ambitious goals for the sequel. There were now 15 new people plus two external companies, mainly all of which were working in the art department, working on PGR2, which was also a much larger development cycle, which gives you an idea of how big the development of this was at the time. Full Xbox Live multiplayer support was planned out from the beginning, and it was just one more goal that the team set for themselves to be the definitive online racing game. Each area in the game was highly researched. Over 6,000 photographs could be taken, uh, just logging routes, areas and textures and such, that was roughly 160 rolls of film because they were using real yeah, cameras. Right. <laughs> this was early 2000s. These areas, of course, would then have to be photographed again to have nighttime and dark references. 
And reason up on this, this wasn't all fun and games. They did fly all the way around the world to do it. And when it was good, it was good. But they had to be very specific about when you can photograph. And having taken photographs for texture-based images in games, it's a pain because you can't do it in bright sunlight. You can't do it in the rain. You can't do it when it's getting dark. It has to be just the right mix of overcast. So that was a lot of research went into Project Gotham Racing 2 because this didn't have four cities. It had many more and they didn't even use the cities that were in the first game. The cities included in Project Gotham Racing 2 were Barcelona, Chicago, Edinburgh, Florence, Hong Kong, Moscow, the Nürburgring, Stockholm, Sydney, Washington DC, Yokohama, and then they added both Paris and Long Beach, California as DLC for over 100 total routes to race. Uh, race. Now, that's the best and worst thing, in my opinion, about Project Gotham Racing 2, and the reason being that when I played Project Gotham Racing, I didn't think I ever needed more tracks. And since Project Gotham Racing 2, no game ever has enough tracks and locations because Project Gotham Racing 2 had such a variety and range, and the fact that there were day and night it sort of really affected every racing game since because I just don't feel like there's a variety. This is a game now that's 14 years old or coming up 14 years old and it's still the benchmark of what I point to for a range <laughs> of tracks. <laughs> and that's pretty incredible. And the fact that they didn't use the same assets, they wanted to rebuild everything. Yeah, They wanted a new physics model. They wanted... Uh, the navigation to be different. They wanted all the cars to be new, better models so that they were less boxy. They wanted the environments to be freshly designed. They didn't want to retread the same ground because they'd already used it twice. It's pretty incredible when you look at what they've accomplished in a two-year development cycle. And, of course, they had the full online multiplayer. So we'll get we'll get to the single-player modes because it's not too dissimilar. It is the core gameplay behind PGR. Not a whole lot changed, but there were tweaks and additions. As we've already probably mentioned there were two new difficulties added, steel and platinum, either side of the bronze, silver and gold medals, uh, which is one of the bigger changes. Um, but the standout, I think, and the, the point that we'll get to now are the locations, because 100 different routes is a lot of routes. And that is, what, over 10 locations, 10 cities in the game. And I'm pretty sure we all have our favourites. So, Gary... Locations in PGA 2, I know you'll be a fan because you liked them in the first. What are your favourites in PGA 2? So, interestingly enough, um, my favourite two are probably Edinburgh and Barcelona, although I like Moscow because it's for its speed. But the, the interesting thing about Edinburgh is that when when the game was first announced, I was a bit disappointed there was no London. Um, you know, that they dropped the tracks from the original game um, because yeah. I could associate with London, obviously knowing it as well as I do. And I didn't really know Edinburgh that well, but as it turns out, uh, the Edinburgh tracks were just awesome. And uh, the, the the kind of strange thing is I then went on to work for 10 years for a Scottish bank. So I spent a hell of a lot of time in Edinburgh <laughs> over the past 10 years. And my my first trip up there uh, for business, which was probably only about a year, I'm trying to think what it was now. Uh, no, it would have been 2005. So what, two years after this came out? Um, I remember standing on Princess Street looking across to Old Town and where, um, you know, the the castle and beyond where Grassmark yeah. is, thinking and looking at it and thinking, 
This is Project Gotham Racing too. <laughs> I know exactly where I am. I know if I go down there and to hang a left, there'll be this git of a bend <laughs> that's just by uh, a church. And lo and behold, it was. Uh, I mean, it was scarily accurate, uh, has to be said. I mean, obviously, a lot of the street furniture's not in the game like it wasn't for London either. Yeah. And um, I've also been to Barcelona uh, and Florence. And so, again, uh, you know, I had I had a, a reference, if you like. And, and bizarrely enough, I went to Florence on my honeymoon as well. So there's another link back to PGL2. Uh, I've been there a few times. But yeah, the Edinburgh Circuit's circuit particularly uh, grass market west i absolutely love because it was a combination of and it's what we were talking about earlier really about really good racing circuits a combination of fast high speed straights 90 yeah. degree turns and um in particular with edinburgh the big thing was gradient and i yes. i don't know many other games where other than maybe rally games where gradient has been such a significant factor um and it really really made a massive difference you know whether you were coming you're going to get me excited again gary because i'm going to be starting to talk about verticality yeah. in gaming. <laughs> <laughs> whether you were coming down the the hill in old town or whether you were going up the hill in old town depending on which circuit and which direction you were going in it had a massive impact on the way you approach the race the way and and the handling and just about everything with it, it made the, the racing, particularly online, incredibly intense. Um, and so mm. for that reason, for me, Edinburgh was my favourite circuit. But of all of the PGR games and all of the circuits, I think this game had the best circuits in it. And I always prefer the ones that have the combination of high speed and then sort of tight little niggly sections sort of thrown in with it. And certainly Barcelona, yeah. Edinburgh and Moscow were prime examples of that. But Moscow was basically flat out. It was just foot to the floor and... Yeah, very. It's flat, isn't it? It's quite a flat it's location, flat, but you just go wide, really huge, quick. Huge, great big wide turns. Uh, it was all about getting the the right line as you come out of any any of the tighter bends in Moscow. Whereas yeah. Barcelona and Edinburgh were very high speed sections, with them very followed by very slow speed sections. But yeah, Edinburgh was the best for that, without a doubt. I mean, I, I would agree with Gary. Edinburgh, I think, is the highlight of the game. I, I mean, I have a soft spot for for Hong Kong purely because it's quite a, a tight track, um, and visually, yeah. it's you know, it's it's really cool. Certainly back then, it was a very cool um, addition. So, yeah, I, with Gary, I think Edinburgh was the standout. But yeah, I, I really liked Hong Kong. <laughs> for for all my hatred of uh, um, well, hatred that's the wrong word for all my um, challenging uh, challenge with uh, the slightly tighter tracks. Um, yeah, I I still like that the visual style of it. I really don't want to agree with you guys because that's yeah, just <laughs> the nature of my personality. But Edinburgh is the best track. <laughs> it's and Gary mentioned it. It's mm -hmm. it's the high speed bend going sort of when you just going up and you're turning off to the right and you're just going and then you've got the, the tighter turns around. And it was if you if you had no opponents with you, it was such a thoroughly enjoyable. Um, part of the track and if you had the competition it was such a key part of the track for hitting the best line to overtake so it was competitive regardless because it was the bit where you could make up the most time on your own lap times as well as um, you know over overtaking opponents or uh, the end of it where you would try and build up the most kudos because that's when you're making your, your sudden turn and it was just a an absolutely wonderful city because you know it, it did it had the gradient you know that that is 
it's surprisingly rare um, how often racing games have the impact of the turns of their track and the angles that they they can hit at. Um, I think Need for Speed Shift did a great job with the Nürburgring, and that's a track that we've all played countless times. But it always seems to feel flat outside of that game, and racetracks are almost never flat. That's the thing. They're usually always on hills, and Edinburgh showcased this better than any other racing game to that point, maybe since. Because it was it was dramatic because you could look down over the cliff. And you know, we've we've seen over the cliff things in the Alps in Forza or uh, across the distance in Rio in Forza Motorsport six, but it didn't have the angle of the turn um and, and with the bank inclusive that, that Edinburgh does in Project Gotham Racing Two. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, Edinburgh is an unusual city in that respect because you've got the old town which yeah. sort of towers built on the almost a mountainside, basically, yeah. overlooking the 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 Georgian Newtown with its you know with its grid pattern and big ranging streets and large um, park, you know. So it, the the Prince's Street Gardens, you know. So it's um it, in that respect, it's. Yeah, the geography of the city lends itself to that. But I, I still maintain that it's got two of my favourite corners in any racing game. Now, uh, those of you familiar with Edinburgh will know, probably know what I'm talking about, but it's the corner where you turn, it's by near Haymarket, where you turn back onto Princess Street, which you can almost take flat out. And it's normally, if you do Grass Market East, I think, it's the last turn on the circuit because the start finish straight is on Princess Street. Uh, and so it's the one you want to nail every, you know, perfectly to get that clean getaway up the huge straight for Princess Street. And it's just slightly off 90 degrees. And so it's just enough. It tightens. And so it's just enough that you've got to time it perfectly. Otherwise, you totally screw it up. And the other one is the one as you approach the bottom of it's not grass market it's law market i think but basically if you walk along princess street and you go turn right and go over the the big bridge by the national gallery you then end up going and you reach the bottom of um old town you then go up a, f- a fairly winding street that heads up towards the main street in uh, old town which i think is law market which then leads into grass market with those series of bends in it's like a, a quick left right left um were just awesome and if you you can't squeeze two cars through there and that was the thing that made that so yeah. much fun you know you'd you'd want yeah. to just be a nose ahead as you went into that quick series of, of corners um because then you know you would then you'd then be in the lead for the next two or three bends and i don't think it's unusual for people to mention edinburgh as the standout track i think most people did really seem to enjoy it and among the list i mean edinburgh is a pretty prestige city in the united kingdom you know you london Glasgow, Edinburgh, but it's not something that's necessarily classed as a prestige city around the mm. world. And I think that's a shame because it's an, you play it in PGR2 and you realize how undervalued that location is in all of the games. Like, why aren't other games using this as a street track? Because it lends itself so perfectly. I mean, it's breathtaking when you're coming around and you see the castle on the side and you're looking down. And you see the this you know the city and it's just a truly wonderful location. And I've been to the city a couple of times, and of of all the locations, I've only been to Paris and Edinburgh, and I don't think it's in another racing game. And it's such a shame. I wonder why, because it it's so much more fun to race than more traditional tracks that we see over and over again. 
Now, I'm not going to badmouth the Nürburgring because I do really enjoy still racing it, but uh, how many yeah, times have we all been it's on just Nürburgring? Not a name, though, is it? I mean, that's just, you, know, you go by the numbers, don't you? It's, although it's an interesting race London. situation. Yeah, exactly. We've seen London in countless. But that's I because mean, London is... London's London. You know, someone from America can it's easily recognise that. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that anyone's... It's, it's as prestige as New York, isn't it? London is as prestige as New York, really, in the, in the scheme but no, but of things. I, I would hope you know, to it, say that someone's not looking at the back of the box and going, it's got Edinburgh in it, it's not London, I'm not playing it now. So I'm, yeah, I think it's a, it's a fool's but errand. Kind it's of a decision that, that has to be made... It's a decision that has to be made at development. Mm-hmm. And and if someone's saying, you know, we've got either London or Edinburgh, which are you going to put in the game? Well, London's the recognisable city. We've seen London in loads of games now. And it it's even the association of PGR and London are together, and it's not in this game. But I would, I would say that Edinburgh is so much more fun to drive. But another city I really enjoyed was Barcelona. I think that is an incredibly uh, good city to drive around in this. And Stockholm. Stockholm's the one that stands out for me. And I think a lot of that is to do with uh, the early 2000s. There was the series of uh, videos on the internet of the getaway in Stockholm games, which is not so legal driving people. I mean, it is really illegal street racing um, of racing away from the police, if you've never seen it. And they're, they're on YouTube and whatnot. But that was almost certainly the reason for the inclusion of it in this game. And the ability to have watched those videos and then race over the similar locations. Stockholm is another city that lends itself to be driven really well and really quickly. And I always felt that PGR had a really good range, uh, a really good mix. I think if there was any that I would have removed from the game, it would be Chicago and its 90-degree grid. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like a 90-degree turn. I don't like every turn <laughs> to be 90 degrees. <laughs> no, no. America. Uh, that was a little bit frustrating you did have the, in, in the Chicago. the big, long, straight over the bridge. That was kind bridge, of interesting, yeah. but yeah. I know what you mean. I, you know, I think you're right. I think, um, I think the problem is that uh, video games these days they don't like to take risks, and so the easy option is just to go for the the big major, yeah, the big major top five cities. So you know, New New York, Moscow, Tokyo, London, Paris. You know, those are the ones that they'll always go for. I mean, you're talking about this. You know, they uh, you you very rarely get German cities. You know, you, you never get very rarely get Berlin or anything like that featured in, in any of these sorts of games. You know, if 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 it's Germany mm. it's it's the Nordschifer and, and you're gonna lump it. You know, so it's Or oh, Hockenheim. Yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> and yeah. it and it'll be the old yeah. and the and the, probably the crappy mm. new circuit as well. So yeah, I think that's that's the kind of thing. And I think with these guys, they had the opportunity because they the first game had been a success to just go out and, and put the places in they wanted to put in that they thought would be interesting. And being a British developer, yeah. we're obviously aware that Edinburgh really does lend yeah. itself with some spectacular but, but even like views. Florence, I mean, you would never think of putting Florence in a racing game. Um, because if you ever go to Florence, no one around there can drive anywhere. But, you know, but they did because they knew it was partially about the spectacle of the city it was in. Which is very mm. much true for Edinburgh, um, but and certainly for Barcelona, yeah, absolutely as well. for Barcelona, I mean, that, and to a certain extent for yeah. Chicago, because the, it's one of the few cities that has that kind of skyline with these huge skyscrapers. You know that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's what they did, and Stockholm, obviously, being on all those little islands and stuff. You know, they they chose places that would look dramatic in the game, uh, and yes. I think a lot of contemporary games often. You know, so there'll be someone somewhere counting the beans saying, yeah, but don't you want to have a bullet point on the back of the box that says New York and London? You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's always going to be the case. You mm-hmm. you need a game to have 
more than one game in the series, really, I think, to get away with it. I mean, I was a modern example, actually, which did surprise me, was when they included India in Drive Club, which I thought was kind of cool because again it's mm. a place that doesn't feature yes. very often and in fact the India tracks in that game are probably some of the best well, I'm, I'm actually trying to rack my brain of, of modern examples of a game that's you know like Project Gotham where it's taken a number of cities now and not just you know racing tracks as we, we know and not just a single location you know if you look at um, the way Fortress Horizon has kind of gone mm. down that route of take a yeah, take a location and you know and use the whole of it I just yeah looking back at Project Gotham and just you know, seeing this selection of cities I'm, I'm just trying to rack my brains and grid and grid motorsport did it um but they That's played a while away now as well fairly safe well grid motorsport was mm, three years ago three or four years ago okay. um because that actually came out on the last gen even after this gen had come out yeah and and drive club to a certain extent although they weren't city locations they were they were rural but they, they did at least go to different places than you mm. normally go to but no they don't i mean mate, if they do street circuits it's normally it's nearly always new york London, Tokyo. As someone who plays a lot of racing games and, and street racing, track racing, um, arcade, it means quite a lot when you can go and play something and the locations stand out because it can all blur. It you know it, it just merges into sort of one grey of I've been here a million times and it, even going back to Project Gotham Racing Two now because. Both these games are backwards compatible on, on Xbox 360. It feels novel because you're racing locations that I'd never raced before this game, and in most cases since. The hallmark of this series, the kudos and the and the unusual city locations are what really made this series excel from this game onwards. I mean, well, I think probably all of us feel that this is the best one of the series as well, and I think that's for that reason because it's got the it's got the ones that's, it's got the most memorable locations uh, and yeah. You can tell where the money was spent in this one. The money was spent in all the right places. It was spent on the detail, uh, and yeah. that's a prime example of it. Cities weren't the only area that they they went big or added new content. They introduced SUVs. They had a lot of back and forth with Microsoft and trying to break the American market, make it more appealing. So they added trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to go alongside the supercars. None of these classes would go on to make PGR3, but they were in PGR2. Um, Geometry Wars was a minigame included in the game, a really nice touch, and something that I'd actually forgotten about, and it was something that I associated with Project Gotham Racing 3. But yes, it was in, it was in Project Gotham Racing 2. They also made touches with the music. Now, this is something that was really interesting with Metropolis Street Racer, and it's something that we actually discussed quite in depth on that episode. They added music that was specific to certain regions mm-hmm. in the game. Now, there's obviously quite a lot of regions which we've covered. There's over 200 tracks in the game. They didn't go all out for really well-known licensed music. Um, there was no Planet Perfecto, uh, Bullet in a Gun, which was the main track behind Metropolis Street Racer. But some of those are specific to locations, so certain music will only appear in Yokohama, for example, which is Pretty cool. It certainly adds a, a little air of authenticity. Now, when I play something like Euro Truck Simulator 2, which don't laugh, it's actually a really good game, um, on the PC, it has online radio stations. So when I'm crossing the border into, say, Germany, I always put a German radio station on, and it's it's live music in that case. But it's quite nice that when you're in that location and you're listening to something that is also of that, that it doesn't have that disconnect. And it's only a little thing, and it's 
it's subtle and sort of can play in the back of your mind, but it's certainly something that I feel added to the experience, at least for me. And with it being the Xbox, one advantage you had is if you got sick of the 200 tracks in the game, you could just rip your own music to the hard drive and play that in-game. And the actual track information, as long as it could pull the ID3 tags, uh, would actually appear in the game as well on your radio, which was a really nice touch. And a sadly forgotten touch (laughs) in many modern Uh. games. And it also featured downloadable content, something that's maybe become a dirty word to some people. Halo 2 also brought in downloadable content on the Xbox. I don't remember anything bringing it before Project Gotham Racing 2, though. This, may, this, in my mind, is the one that brought it, perhaps the first. They brought in Paris and Long Beach, California. I thought KOTOR was the first to have uh, downloadable content. You had a free planet. But it, it, you know, it was relatively new at the time. They brought in two DLC packs. And they, they weren't sort of halfly done packs either. Paris, in particular, felt substantial. Long Beach is actually a track we have seen since uh, Forza picked up Long Beach, California. Uh, sometime later on. But this was substantial DLC. It was 17 new routes, uh, 17 new cars as well uh, were added in. Um, maybe 10 new routes or something So along those numbers. And they both supported full online play. Project Gotham Racing 2 had a multiplayer element, but it was also a very substantial single-player game. It had more content than the first with to go with the many more tracks. Again... Kudos-based system in the Kudos World series was the bread and butter of the game. It was a series of races in uh, 14 different categories of car. The player began with just three cars in the Compact Sport series. There were a total of 102 cars, 118 after DLC, to play across this mode. And it wasn't easy if you were going for all Platinums. This was quite a... Before achievements and trophies on consoles, this was, I wouldn't say the talk of the playground because I was too old at that time, but it was certainly something that you would discuss mm. with other people. And this was the era, era where f- online forums were starting to become a bit more substantial. And you'd be talking, it was like, I have the, I have all platinums in PGA. I never had all platinums in PGA 2. I'm not going to lie. I couldn't do it. And for that, you would get the TVR. Was it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> I would not. I never did it, Tony. However, there is a cracking picture, if anyone has never seen it, of Jack Black posing in front of a TV where he has accomplished the last platinum medal. <laughs> um, and it always makes me smile that, that just this out there happy celebrity is celebrating completing Project Gotham Racing 2. Um, did either of you two ever manage to get all platinums? I did, but it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> so Was it your no, wife? So my brother and I... Uh, we shared one account on my Xbox. And when I was working away during the week, my brother would play it. So between us, we managed to to get all Platinums. And how was the TVR? Uncontrollable. Yeah, swirly, (laughs) as as always. Yeah, Yeah, it really was. That's that's what I've heard. But at at least now that your brother's done it, it means that one Carl on this podcast has actually got all the Platinums. So that's That's true. Yeah, I think it was him that actually did the final Platinum, if I remember right, because I couldn't do it. It also featured an arcade racing mode. This was 60 events across three different modes. This was your street racing, your timed runs, and the cone challenges, the dreaded cone challenges, were back (laughs) for the sequel. So good. Each race was actually a preset car on a track this time. This was more fun than I thought it was going to be. I actually did spend more time in the arcade racing because I enjoyed the cone challenges i was that i was that sick individual that that really enjoyed the, the the frustration again the tracks really lent to some of these modes i remember the overtaking um a posh boxster track 
uh, where you had to overtake a certain number of cars in Moscow was a firm favourite because, as Gary mentioned earlier, that was a flat-out track. So it was ideal for an overtaking event. Just a lot of content. There was a time attack mode. It was back. Again, it's free filler. No kudos involved in this one. It was a straight time trial where the fastest lap counts. The player can choose the circuit or car challenges for this one. In circuit challenges, the player can choose from up to 92 different circuit routes and choose any car to race them in. Or there was the car challenges where you could choose from 102 cars and you were on the predetermined circuit for that car. Which is, in my opinion, the best way to run these because it keeps an organised leaderboard. And I hate unorganised leaderboards, which is what you see in every Forza game right now, which is a real pet hate of mine. And one of the cool features that Project Gotham Racing 2 did, and no game has done ever since, and is one of my very favourite things in any game, was there was a showroom. So you would enter it in first-person mode, and you could walk from manufacturer to manufacturer as if it was some sort of fantasy Formula 1 pit scenario and you would walk in and you would see the cars and they were under um curtains yeah yeah like a cloth they're like a drape over the top of them yeah, until you unlocked them a yeah drape, so until you would unlock the car so there was that prestige see, element yeah, of, kinda, of earned the right yeah, to see this see one it, but not yeah really frustrating <laughs> yeah and i remember you'd walk across the ferrari one you'd be like well i'm certain that one's the enzo but that one could be the ferrari mm. f40 kind of thing and just the ability to walk around as someone who loves cars and the prestige behind these cars and you know i mentioned my love for gran turismo and the direction that was going and this is something that gran turismo has been crying for and a pet hate of mine in any racing game where you buy a car is how soulless that whole experience is of select it from a list buy with these days in-game currency that you've earned or external tokens that you can buy and it's in your garage and then you select it and there's just there's no connection there with the car and in this it's really weird now isn't it because i mean I, it's almost like a case of less is more I, I, it seems odd to say well you know i enjoyed you know these early pgr incarnations because there was 100 cars to choose from and not you know 400 cars to choose from it sounds like an odd complaint but like you were saying with the showroom you'd you'd go round you'd walk there wasn't you know huge amounts of cars you'd kind of look and go well i'd like that one just to complete the collection or at least i want that one to drive and you know these are the, the things i need to do to unlock it and yeah you know, i mean gran turismo was a fault of this where there was you know seemed to just throw every car available uh, and just yeah. hope that you know that you'd find something in and, and even modern day gaming you know it's it's nice to have that variety but like you car like there's so it's it's we always joke about having um like the forza horizon or even the forza passes where you get all these dlc cars every week or every month you know you get a pack of 12 more and it's like well i haven't I haven't driven, you know, 80% of the rest of the cars in this yeah. game. Like, now you're giving me 12 more. Like, this doesn't really seem, like, worth the, the the entrance fee, the bargain, unless it's something I absolutely have fallen in love with. Well, I, I really liked the the inclusion of the, the showroom. You know, and even going back to it now, it, it was good fun to just walk around in first person, see the cars. You know, I haven't unfortunately got my original save files. So, you know, just seeing the stuff that was still on the, the covers and then, you know, popping online on a YouTube video and kind of seeing the, the actual collection of all 100 cars revealed and going, oh, wow, yeah, that they look really cool. So, yeah, there's there's definitely more of a kind of a, a personal approach uh, to, a, to a system like this rather than just the scatter shot. Well, You've unlocked this car, and yeah, you know, I mean, they're so beautifully modelled now that you know, 
it's understandable that they want you to just look at that individual car and and look at every single aspect of the, the way it's, it's modeled but yeah there there is a little kind of disconnect between me loving cars and and the way it's done now versus the way it was delivered there there's something similar you know we had the uh, walkabout garages in project gotham racing three and mm-hmm. four and uh, forza vista in the forza games where you you know you see the finer details on the cars but there's something to be said for being able to just walk from ferrari to fiat to Mazda to Honda and just look around at the cars that you've earned and you buy them with your tokens there and you can test drive them on the test track. Yeah, and, and that was it. There was a test d- track, wasn't there? There was actually just an entire test track that you know yeah. you can race. I mean, you could race around just by testing, but there was you know it wasn't used in any other part of the game. You would race a yeah. It was a test track that you would race a ghost car that holds the record time mm-hmm. on that track. So you you could actually practice those cars there, but it. it you know, we, we have had similar way you can walk around the cars, but the the purchasing process in any other racing game is so soulless to me. And it's something that has never really been taken advantage of. And I don't understand why when PGR Mark 2 managed to do it and actually make an event of buying a car that now it's like three button presses and two menu drop downs. It, it's so cold. I suppose cold because you'd be going around games. a multiplex complex with about 70 different rooms. <laughs> uh, you, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. Make me just go to the Ferrari garage then and look at the 20 Ferrari cars or make me go to Italy and look at all the Italian. You know, there are, there are options and possibilities there. I mean, this was no shrinking violet of, again, this had over 100 cars. We talk about Forza Horizon 3 has over 450 and that's a massive step up and, and plus DLC on top and that's all well and good. But, I mean, how many different kinds of Corsa do we need to drive? <laughs> you know, it's it, it's sort of this strange thing where... The numbers don't sort of match with what we require. You know, we we don't need four hundred. I, I think more importantly, I, I don't think it, it it doesn't necessarily serve such a purpose to compare it to today's gaming. But I, I think you know back then it was it was brilliant to see you know the the kind of the inclusion of love of cars. You know, we had I'm sure like that that certainly assisted even with um, Gran Turismo around then. You know, people were excited by car games and you know the the element of you know real world cars in, in these things and enjoying them was certainly there. But just having that showroom really, I feel like the Forza games having um, just having um, Jeremy Carson come along and kind of narrate you know the love of these cars. I mean, some people don't like it for sure, but. I, I get that idea of kind of selling you, you know, of these beautiful beasts. And there, there were, I, I feel like Project Gotham was a really good step up between, you know, just having cars in the game and then appreciating the kind of the art and the, the power of the consoles at that point of delivering how good they looked and kind of your, your fascination and an assignment to, to play over them. Just that whole showroom thing held such an appeal for me because it was a surprise. I didn't know it was in the game when I played it. Um, I had a big beam on my face when I could just go and check these cars out. And it always felt like something that Gran Turismo needed, not even that it should have, but that if, if you really want to sell that the whole process of owning the car, why not sell the process of buying the car? I don't know. It's I really appreciate it. In the same way that I really appreciated being able to organise your garage um, and walk around it in, in the next Project Gotham Racing games. Anyway, on to the community feedback. Uh, for the show, we have a piece from Baker's 12 here. He said, I'm not a big fan of racing games. And when I do get into one, it's usually something like Mario Kart or Wipeout rather than a traditional driving game. I tend to find them boring. And once I've won a race on a track, I feel like I don't want to do that same thing again. 
PGR games are the big exception for me. I love them all. A big part of this is the kudos system that rewards you for driving skillfully and not just being the first one to cross the line. It added so much more into a type of game that I would not normally pick up. The cities were, at the time, amazing to speed through. The promise of exact recreations of cities was quite amazing at the time, London being a standout to me, as I know the city, uh, and at speed you'd catch a glimpse of an Angus Steakhouse or a Burger King, or at least where one would be, only to slow down and see the real nondescript assets used, but it did work. One curiosity in the London tracks was that the posters on at the cinemas around Leicester Square seemed to be for Lost in Space. How long was this game in the making for? Well, ten months. But there was also the development process from Metropolis Street Racer. Possibly it was an asset from that. My memories of the three Project Gotham Racing games that I played are now a bit mixed up, but the structure of the games changed, I progressed and how... The progression of the game, how to unlock the cars, I found that each game had things that I liked and things that I liked that got dropped in the next game. This led me to think that there was never really a definitive PGR, as I would think that a little something was missing. Seeing that, they were all very good. And JB the Skater said, I played a lot of PGR on the Xbox. I have fond memories of racing around London in a Mini and being blown away by the visuals and the handling model. The Kudos system seemed like an extension of the old arcade racing systems which encouraged you to drive fast, but more importantly, drive with style. Fond though my memories are of Project Gotham Racing, my feelings for it are utterly eclipsed by my feelings for PGR2. For me, Project Gotham Racing 2 was arcade racing at its best. The car handling was great. Some cars you could drive with precision and no braking, such as the Radical. Others required a bit more nuance, the Speed 12. All of them felt fun and individual. The Kudos system was more rewarding than in PGR1 and encouraged even more aggressive driving. The track list was fantastic, again capturing the arcade feel of an around-the-world journey. It was the first game I played which featured the Nürburgring. Not only was it a great arcade racing game, it was a perfect online arcade racing game. It was the first proper Xbox Live game for me, a group of eight people racing around some fantastic locales, talking, joking and having fun. This was Xbox Live in the golden era. Great people playing online for fun. I made friends playing this online in 2003 that I still play online with today. Sure, you could race on the Nürburgring, Moscow, Edinburgh, etc. And this was fun. I spent an nonsensical amount of time launching cars off another car's roof on one of the Moscow circuits. The racing and fooling around was all good fun, but the real fun was in the homemade games of Cat and Mouse. My God, I spent hundreds of hours playing Cat and Mouse online with friends. One player in the Cerberus Speed 12, the others in the Mini. The first Speed 12 mini combo over the line was the winner. It was incredible fun. Homemade, unofficial, self-policed <laughs> fun. Inc incidentally, I never really cared much for the formal cat and mouse that was introduced in PGR 3. I tend to gush when I talk about PGR 2 because it came at a perfect point in my life. Younger, freer and without responsibility. Adjectives which also describe this game quite perfectly. The game captured everything I loved about racing games and online play. It was a perfect blend and will always have a place on my shelf. The online play was quite amazing in Project Gotham Racing 2, mainly because it worked better than I ever expected it to. Uh, the increase of players from 6 to 8 and the many, many tracks. And I did put several hours into this game. I mean, several is probably an understatement. <laughs> um, it was an awful lot of hours on PGR2 online. Though I never actually made a set group of friends that I played with. Brother and I used to play online a lot, although we played under the one account. My main memories of it are being in the kitchen, making myself some dinner and just hearing my brother swearing at <laughs> somebody. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, and it really being the first game online on a console that I played with randoms, I guess, uh, because of I mean, you know, nature of the beast, yeah. you had to really. I like you, I never really had a a group that I would play online with. I would just play the single player for a bit and then jump onto a few online games, and normally that also involved a bit of drinking as well. I did actually have uh, a couple of because you know back then people would send you friend requests just if they saw your your name and yeah. there was one guy I used to come across quite a lot and uh, he was still on my friends list up until I think about three or four years ago on the on Xbox but if you looked at his profile he never played any other game that was the only game he ever played. But I kept it on there just out of curiosity. So I thought one day I'm going to look on there and he's going to have a whole load of like Xbox 360 achievements or something against his profile. But nope. Just, just PGR2. His logo no was PGR2. I think he did, he must, uh, sorry, he played PGR3 as well. So he had uh, obviously had an Xbox 360 at one point, but those were the only games that uh, he'd ever played. Yeah, like Baker's 12 was saying, yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of games to choose from. So I really feel like people went from you know game to game, like a sway of people would just follow you. I mean, I, I had a close-knit group of friends by this point and through playing you know, five or six different titles before PGR came up. And you know, just talking about Cat and Mouse and, and you know its inclusion in, in Project Gotham 3, but it being... Uh, kind of like quite a sterile inclusion versus what we would come up and yeah it's one of those things where forum talk and you know people would make up their own games and there was enough variety in that um in that system and the engine to allow you to you know to, to mess around with it it wasn't all you know straight laced and well you you have to do this fastest lap people just started to to have fun with it and i think that was easy to do in a you know a fairly you know, closed up community of people just kind of experiencing this stuff for the first time and actually seeing the sales yeah. figures, you know, maybe there was less people playing online than I would have uh, assumed back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, we, a lot of, you know, a lot of games obviously has online now and people understand, you know, if you have a close knit group of, of people, how that feels. It really felt cutting edge back in, in 2003. Um, you know, obviously there had been other racing games, but yeah, this this felt a step above the rest. It, it felt really mature. It felt like the, the system had had already progressed way beyond where I thought it would and, and just allowed that kind of variation of game types that we, you know, is, is the norm now, but felt so different then. It laid down a lot of tracks for, for stuff like, you know, Halo 2 um, to come out, you know, which really pushed online play. And I think you know a lot. A lot was learned from Project Gotham Racing Two, um, going into the future of the development of that system. And in fact, you know, we will talk about obviously Project Gotham Racing Three coming up, um, you know, in the near future. And the, the stuff they did on with the online infrastructure of that was incredible, um, with leaderboards and etc. Um, the whole TV thing they introduced, which I always loved as well. So yeah, it's a more of a, a feeling of you know being a, with a collective of people playing a game for a very long time, getting to know the tracks far more than I probably would have done if I just you know sat and played the single player game, um, and just you know enjoying a fun game with your friends is is you know is always something to remember, and it's a, it will be the thing that I remember from Project Over from Racing Two primarily is the good time I had with a group you know of you know. A dozen or so friends are just playing it, you know, for for a number of months, almost every night. I definitely think there's something to be said for the enjoyment that can be had in a tighter knit small community. Um, I always, I believe it was yourself, Gary. You mentioned you would play years back. Was it Quick Four on the Xbox 360, and you would see the same mm-hmm. people every night? Yeah, we did. It was done as um, an experiment, actually, with um, for the 
when it was an energy fat pigeons and we were, we were doing a, a podcast and for an experiment we were going to play games that were basically as far as we knew dead multiplayer games and yeah we 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 played quake 4 every day for for a, a week uh, and when you went into matchmaking it was the same three people every single night and again <laughs> if you looked at their profiles they'd only ever played quake 4 it was bizarre and there, there is a sort of charm to this. I remember uh, Crisis 2 being another game that I would play quite a lot of, and you would see the same names regularly because it wasn't a huge thing. So it's all well and good having a million people playing Battlefield and Call of Duty. There is a tight-knit group, and I think um, we, you know, we see uh, JB the Skater mentions the games of Cat and Mouse that were created, the unofficial cat and mouse, because it wasn't officially in PGR2. And a mutual friend of all of ours, Paul Eccles, mentioned playing cat and mouse in the past. And I know he played cat and mouse with his friends and his small community of players in in PGR2. And I, I, I think when that's the case, these are the memories that you sort of keep because they the feel more personal to you because you know not everyone has had them and not everyone has shared them. And... PGR2 sold less than I think any of us would have guessed. And then you would take a fraction of them that would actually pay for Xbox Live, and then a fraction of those would only play this online. And by that point, you're getting a reduced number of minutes, and I think maybe that's why my memories of it were so good, because with lesser plays, lesser trolling, and it was new, and everyone was seemed friendlier, except for Gary's brother swearing at everyone online. It, it You know, it... it fills you with sort of happiness when you think back about it and the good times that were had. I think my strongest memory of Project Gotham Racing 2 online is also the saddest moment I've ever had in gaming. That would have been April 15th, 2010. And this was a moment where it was myself, it was Gary, you Mm -hmm. were there. Um, It was a friend of ours, uh, a mutual friend that I mentioned, Paul Eccles, um, the four of us, and there was several others, and this was the day that Xbox Live 1.0, the servers were officially being shut down. This was the day that the servers for Halo 2 died, uh, PGR 2, and many others. There were people going back on, not even necessarily to play these games, but to just stand in the worlds that you know they may have conquered years earlier. You know The tracks that they'd raced around and had competitive races with their friends, and 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 created rivalries uh, and had these great times and great memories of playing them. And they would just sit there, you know, look at this environment one last time, the ability to log on, see their friends on the leaderboards. And that was it. And I remember distinctly there was no trolling, no bad messages, no bad language, no crashing into each other. It was just people having, in our case, one last great race online. And it was really, there was something special about it because this was a game that was so important to me in how I felt about racing games. And it became the yardstick for how I judged every racing game after. And to be able to go back online, and unfortunately in my case, it wasn't on my main profile, so I couldn't actually see my (laughs) leaderboard score because my original Xbox Live tag was knock on wood. And I couldn't recover it, so at this time I was just knock on, and yeah, so that was a shame. But seeing that you were able to do it, and that uh, our friend Paul was able to do it, and there was that sort of that sort of calm of 
we all get to reminisce one last time and then it's gone. Um, and I'm not a person to get emotional over games. I've, I've never shed a tear over an emotional game. Um, and I'm an emotional person. I'm a person that movies, books, a good advert, you know, it'll all get me. Um, and this upset me this night because it was just, it's what was and what would never be again. And to sort of experience it for that hour with my friends was really important to me. And to just be able to have that memory with other people was incredible. What about yourself, Gary? Yeah, it was um, It was a very melancholic and emotional evening. I know a lot of people went on and played Halo 2, didn't they? That was the one that yeah. most people went and did. But I know, yeah, like you said, the four of us, I think there was one other person there. I mean, it was now. Yeah, we did uh, PGR. But there was quite a lot of um, people online with it, wasn't there? I think... Um, yeah, you could see people coming into server yeah. worlds for like a race yeah. and leaving. And, uh, and it was... It was good. I remember when, when you, you said it was seven years ago, which I couldn't believe. But I remember at the time um, when we were talking and saying that it was a pity that, you know, the, that game held up so well. Um, and, you know, as we've mentioned before, it had all those sort of fantastic tracks and that. It, it, it felt like it was something more than just them turning off the multiplayer servers. It was like closing the door on that type mm. of game. You know, I, I don't think we'll see a game like it ever again and and i think part of that these days is is the business model that's used you know you you just you know commercially you just would never um, put that much value into a game uh, unless you were planning to launch it for like 90 quid or something you know so i I think that's part of it and also i think these days there's less risk taking because there's so much more money involved you know the cost of development are so much greater um, and in many ways, it, it felt like to me like it was it was closing a chapter. It wasn't just the fact that you couldn't play that game online anymore. It was like, you know, this is this is now this is this is almost definitely history. And it's one of those weird things where you actually saw history happening on that one date because you knew, it, yeah, whenever it was. Was it two o'clock in the morning? I was like, wasn't it? They were turning them off. Yeah, it was. It was quite yeah. lit, and I'm sure people who were really into Halo Two, I, which I never was, probably felt much the same way because you know there were things about. Although there's been many Halo games since, that that game was unique and special in its own way as well. And 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 the fact they were mm. turning off that service, it had a finality yeah, to it. Yeah, I, I think it's probably more personal, yeah. purely by the fact that I said there there wasn't that many games that you know, yeah the Xbox Live service has come a long way now, but you know. With the Xbox, you know, point one service, I guess, um, you know, there was a handful of games, and and because you know there was so few games, people played a lot of those games. So you become really attached to you know the, their online features. I mean, now there's so many online features in every single thing that you you know sometimes you don't even bother looking at them. But there, yeah. I mean, it felt like okay, well. I was so attached to this game because I spent so much time in this game because this was one of the few games. So when they they shut that service off, it, you know, it was the, you know I put a load of time into Halo Two as well, and I put a load of time into this and a load of time into Rainbow Six, and and to know that there was a big, you know, more than likely I was never likely to go back and play a lot of these games um, as an online mm. group, but just the fact that it felt for the first time that you know this service could now be shut down and you don't have access to a lot of the content in here. 
Um, and it's yeah, and that's that's the sad thing is knowing that okay, that's a. I felt the same when they um, got rid of uh, the, like the cataclysm in in World of Warcraft. It's like well, the game yeah. I originally played is no longer there because they've decided to to do an artistic change, which is you know fair enough. It's their title; they could do so. But it, yeah, you know, it felt slightly gutting, and and in this case, it was yeah. Well, if you if even if you want to go back and play these games, you can't now. Um, and that was an odd odd pill to take, and and it's you know something that no doubt will have to get used again in the future. And they suddenly shut the service off on, on all these other things. But yeah, super sad. I think it's knowing that they were true trailblazers for everything that's come since. You know, these were the models that were looked at and things were developed mm. upon. Halo 2 was so important for first-person shooters in the same way that Project Gotham Risen 2 was so important for online racers. And being able to go back and play on that final day was like watching one of the great boxers that he'd followed throughout his entire career come back, have one last fight, and go out on top like a champion. And that's how I felt about Project Gotham Racing 2 on that night. And, yeah, it was it was definitely an emotional moment for me because I had such an affinity uh, and history playing that game that you know to to smile and enjoy one last time was i thought very fitting for such a title so we go on to our three word reviews um we got six from the community this time and we'll start with tony uh andrew brown said where's the batman uh john timmons cat and mouse pyramid face all about edinburgh drew fox 81 amazing msr evolution Gareth Cutcliffe, kudos to Bizarre. And the Tiege, with one of my favourite reviews we've had in a long, long time, Metropolish Street Racer, <laughs> which just makes me chuckle. That's really clever. Try and be clever if you can. Bizarre you can. creation. We do appreciate like it. They're superheroes, aren't they? Metropolis to Gotham. So, in summary, we shall wrap this up on our own personal thoughts specifically, and we will start with Tony. Uh, well, first of all, going back to the original Metropolis Street Racer, I'm surprised how well it held up. Um, it's clearly not the best in the series, but it it's still very playable and still, yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the four hours I spent with it going back, and it looks surprisingly good for a game of, of its age. With the with the sequel, say my my memories really are are how good the online infrastructure was and and you know although the you know clear improvements in just about every area be it tracks be it you know sound be it all, all the extra features they add the thing that i will always remember from that game is sadly no longer there to play but um the online and the community that i had built around that was fantastic and i'm sure you guys will just you know you can go probably into more in the detail of the, the tracks and, and whatnot but yeah really 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 good to go back to it um and it is backwards compatible on the 360 so it's easy enough to, to jump back in and, and mess around with it so highly recommended for me um whether it's my favorite racer of all time which i know you know some people on this show that they might argue um i'm not too sure it, it may be a, a bit long in the tooth now to to remember those but it's incredibly incredibly good and um you know just playing it now it, it still proves that you can play the game you know 12 14 years on and it still be a really really competent um racing game um so yeah brilliant for me it's Odd because I don't really want to focus on Project Gotham Racing, which is a good game. It's a great game for what it accomplished. But my focus is primarily going to be on Project Gotham Racing 2 in this wrap-up because, well, if I'm going to recommend that you play one, I'm going to recommend that you play the sequel. And that is because I think that the game still holds up really well. 
it never went for a simulation handling system. It went for a really solid, robust arcade handling system that is still enjoyable to play. Now it has so many cars and the tracks are the epitome of tracks that we've had in any racing game. Um, and I've played a lot of racing games and they are the ones that I still continue to this day enjoy and rave about the most. Um, the online is one of my abiding memories um, for good and sad. You know, there is no bad with that for me. Um, the, the game exceeds anything that I could ever say truly that negative about it. And for me, it's still the game by which I've judged every racing game since and will continue to because I can categorically say I have never played a racing game I have enjoyed more than Project Gotham Racing 2. I think that that is full credit to what the team at Bizarre Creations did and also why the breaking apart and separation of that team still hurts me so much to this day because with this and the Project Gotham's that we are to discuss in the future, I feel like they were the company that broke the monopoly of Gran Turismo in my enjoyment to play and would have continued to break the monopoly of what we've seen from Forza. And the whole formula and setup and structure of the PGR games is so good that I long for Microsoft to bring that franchise out of retirement. It was teased a few years ago and we never got to see it. And I think it's a franchise that would fit perfectly well alongside the Forza Motorsport and Forza Horizon franchises that are exclusive to the Xbox platform. But for now, the only way that you can experience a Project Gotham game is to either play one through four, all of which are backwards compatible, I believe. The, well, no, three and four, obviously, just only Xbox 360 as is. One and two are backwards compatible on the 360. Play Project Gotham Racing 2. It's still an absolute joy to behold of a racing game. And I just don't see anything in the near future beating it for my personal tastes. And that's the highest praise I can pay anything. Now, I'll leave the last wrap-up to our guest, Gary. There's not too much more I can add, really. Um... Other than to say, you know, I obviously agree with most of your your sentiment, uh, Carl. And I, I've, from to my mind, the PGR series, starting with MSR, successfully positioned itself halfway between, you know, the kind of full full on arcade racing of something like a Ridge Racer, and the sterile simulation of a of a of a gran turismo they they kind of honed their own ground in the middle where you were rewarded for style and having fun but it wasn't so far that way that it was ludicrous drifting and boosting and all that kind of nonsense and it wasn't the other way where it was just where the simulation was so heavy in fact msr maybe a little bit that it kind of sucked sucked the enjoyment from it it was they went straight down the middle and they got that they found that perfect balance between the two. And I think one of the reasons why we've not seen another game come quite close to to PGR is that I don't think they've they've been as successful at striking that balance. Some have tried, and every every few years one comes along and I think, oh, is this gonna be as good as PGR? Is it gonna be better? Is it is this gonna be the new PGR? You know, I mentioned a few like, you know, 
I, I felt when uh, Grid come along that there was possibly that could that could move that way. Code Codemasters got a good reputation, but it wasn't quite there, and it didn't it didn't encourage um, you know that that sort of uh, kudos led gameplay. And then we've more recently we've had it with Drive Club, which was a, obviously a PlayStation exclusive, and that didn't quite get there either. And in fact, that wasn't much. That wasn't really a commercial success either. You know, I I feel that at the moment. Um, because this, you know, video games go through genre, you know, have genres, and genres go have peaks and troughs. And I, I think we're definitely coming out of a trough uh, for racing games because you know, two or three years ago they were a dying breed. Um, but with the success of things like Dirt Rally and uh, and to a certain extent the kind of latter success of Drive Club towards the end of its life, and obviously the success of um, the Horizon games, I do feel we're on a curve upwards and I would hope that someone somewhere is is as big a fan as you as, as we are and maybe played this game when they were teenagers and now they go on to go out and make a game that's like it and and maybe we will we'll we will see a true spiritual successor but in so you know one hasn't come along and so if you want the ultimate PGR experience you still I think have to go back and play PGR too uh, and you won't be disappointed. Well thank you very much for that guys. You can join us next time in issue 263 when we attempt to discover just what happened in the Fulbright Company's seminal 2013 hit, Gone Home. (laughs) 